So welcome to another CMC podcast. Uh, today we're continuing our series of Meet the Instructor. And joining us today, we have Matt Sharper. How are you? Hey, good. Hey, thanks for joining us today. So, Pleasure to be here. So Matt, what got you into law enforcement? Well, it's interesting. That's an interesting question. And it started actually with search and rescue. Because uh, when I was a youngster in high school, as a matter of fact, a freshman in high school, uh, they had a after-school activity, uh, as you normally have, like sports, football, baseball, wrestling, what have you. They also had uh, search and rescue, and that interests me. So as a freshman in high school, I, I signed up, and I became a volunteer member of the Sheriff's Department at that time, Mariposa County, California, and uh, I never left. So... Uh, that turned into a career for me in search and rescue, wilderness search and rescue, and, and law enforcement. What's interesting about it is I thought, why would they have high school kids uh, on, on the search and rescue team? And then I came to the conclusion that uh, deputy sheriffs were pretty smart, and they didn't particularly care to carry out uh, dead bodies or injured people from the backcountry. So why not go to the high school and pick out uh, wrestlers and football players and what have you and have them do all the, the heavy lifting for them? So that's kind of where it all started over 40 years ago. There you go. Makes sense. Yeah, so what, so what did you kind of tell us about your career then once you got started? Well, um, I stayed with Search and Rescue up until... Uh, up until the mid-80s, and then I became a deputy sheriff for the sheriff's department, Mariposa County. And at the time I was hired, I was also given the assignment as the search and rescue coordinator for the department because that's something that I had that actually got me into the job, and 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 uh, um, it's something that I loved and I wanted to do. So I was with Mariposa County Sheriff's Department for. Uh, over 20 years, seven volunteer, and then 13 is full-time, and I promoted through the ranks uh, with the Sheriff's Department as the, uh, as the regular uh, gun toter and, and patrol, what have you, and then I also uh, uh, was the search and rescue coordinator uh, for the county. And the interesting thing about me, uh, compared to the other instructors with CMC, as you know, is I am the, the only retired or full-time gun toter on the staff. So <laughs> everybody else is uh, uh, fire department and what have you. And, and to add to that aspect is the fact that most of the other instructors and, and what have you are, are medics, whereas uh, my expertise is actually when the medics don't do a good job and it becomes a coroner's case so i have uh i have over 33 years as a as a deputy coroner so i i've dealt with the other aspect of 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 the services well, at least that way we got the whole thing covered right that's right exactly so anyway <laughs> i was with the sheriff's department uh for 13 years as full-time and then uh as a again search and rescue coordinator and and then I get a call from Cal OES, the chief of the law enforcement branch for the California Governor's Office of Emergency Services, and he offered me a position as the state search and rescue coordinator. So instead of having one county in California that I was responsible for, uh, if I took this job, I'd be responsible for 58 counties. And uh, I took the job. And it's always been a, a dream of mine to do that. 
although uh, quite a difficult job because 58 counties, three exclusive jurisdiction, national parks, and uh, hundreds of thousands of, of wilderness, it, uh, it's definitely sometimes tough to deal with when you're, when you're talking wilderness search and rescue. But I spent uh, 20 years doing that, and uh, after, after the 20 years were up and it was time to retire and, and the pension plan said it's, uh, you're no longer uh, getting paid to go to work, it's actually costing you money to go to work, I decided to uh, retire and uh, I still teach as this podcast is, is for uh, Rope Rescue for CMC and I also uh, teach for Cal OES in Search and Rescue Management and, and do uh, various other odd jobs here and there. Excellent. So were there any, uh, uh, and you kind of alluded to some of them here, any specialty units or, uh, you know, special teams then that you belong to? Well, when, law I, enforcement career? when I was with uh, Mariposa County, I was responsible <clears throat> for every single uh, aspect of, of our responses. And uh, there's a, a number of miles of wild and scenic river. So um, I was responsible for swift water rescue. Every single uh, tourist that ran off the road and crashed into the river was, was my responsibility to get them out of the river. And uh, with obviously through team effort, we were able to do that. Sometimes successful, sometimes not, but uh, that's kind of how it goes. Um, so swift water, high angle, low angle, lots of rope rescue, lots of uh, searches for elderly Alzheimer's, children, uh, aircraft crashes, uh, kind of you name it uh, with, with the local county. And one of the interesting aspects, and it kind of points to uh, CMC, and the rope rescue part is that uh, 80% of Yosemite National Park, which is an exclusive jurisdiction national park, is in uh, Mariposa County. Well, while it's exclusive, uh, it's exclusive for just about everything with the exception of corner and with the exception of civil. So I was able to get quite a bit of an experience with um, the corners aspect in Yosemite Uh, and about Yosemite when there were fatalities in the climbing. Uh, Obviously, there's big walls that are are sought all over the world, and a lot of people uh, head to Yosemite to climb. Well, those that didn't do so good or had accidents, I was was part of uh, uh, being able to determine what happened and why, and it always intrigued me on the rope rescue aspect of you know, how things happened or why they happened to determine, you know, what caused the accident and the fatality in the first place. So uh, needless to say, when I left the county and became responsible for um, the entire state, it was much more administrative, but yet at the same time, I was responsible to make sure that uh, the state had a standard of care from north, south, east to west, that all 58 had... uh, um, you know, the resources they needed to do their job and had uh, uh, teams available to them should they need help from every aspect, from winter search and rescue to, um, you know, high altitude to desert to rope to swift water, flood, you name it. Well, and I know in that position, because you and I have talked with some other things when we were trying to look at uh, doing some things in our state, as far as organization for determining who's responsible for different types of enti- uh, different type of incidents 
and also mutual aid and all that. You had a huge part to play in that in the state of California and how well-defined that is. Well, yes, because we there was constantly a jurisdictional uh, dispute, you might say, and uh, between law and fire on what exactly was a SAR, a search and rescue, and a USAR, or urban search and rescue. And then you take that a little bit further, uh, medical aid. And so in California, to end that dispute, Dispute. We sat down with our fire partners and and established a uh, statute that basically defined what is a search and rescue that law enforcement, the sheriffs, 58 sheriffs of California, are responsible for, and what is either a USAR or a medical aid that fire and rescue would be responsible for, and then the, those gray areas that could be either or um, were defined as as a shared responsibility. And that's something that will, uh, as technology increases, especially with aircraft in both law and fire, uh, it makes it more and more difficult uh, <laughs> to determine because it's all based on access. And as you know, uh, fire and rescue strengths basically are, are uh, truck-based. You know, your equipment, mm -hmm. your personnel, it, it requires your, your truck, your um, and in the wilderness side, it, it's, it's not vehicle-based at all. It's, it's on foot. It's, you know, in the, in the wilderness, you walk there, you hike there, you go on horseback or whatever. And that's why I say now with aircraft, it obviously changes how things, uh, how things operate. And also known versus unknown. You know, do you know where the victim is? Or do you not know where they are? And so it, it was just a, a matter of defining that for California. And it's one that I'm proud to say today, uh, it is a role model for our nation. And a lot of other states look to California, even though, trust me, I'm not a, uh, basically a California fan. I just happen to be a, a native here. Um, it's, it's one that uh, it works. And so I'm proud to say I left the state with that. Well, and not, I know we've discussed this on some other podcasts with other organizations. Uh, not only do you, did you have the organization part of it, but also protections built in for uh, liability and everything else for SAR members. That's correct, yes. There's a, a good program in California that basically gives every single uh, search and rescue volunteer who affiliated with a government agency, that's kind of one of the keys. You can't just have a search and rescue team in California. You have to be affiliated, but it provides uh, liability coverage, limited liability coverage to the California government code and um, uh, workers' comp, full workers' comp, the same as a full-time uh, deputy sheriff, park ranger, firefighter, whatever. So the, the volunteers are covered, and that's a, it's a good program to have. Well, exactly, because that takes away one of the huge things that would prevent uh, somebody from volunteering. Correct. Yeah, why would you? Why would you, knowing that you're assuming the liability for your, if you have an accident and get injured, or um, basically, you know, uh, liability in the legal system if somebody comes after you to sue you, you know, so it protect, it's protection for the volunteers. Really good yeah, program. Exactly. Yeah, excellent. Like you say, it is definitely a, a standard that's uh, that's referred to nationwide, so... Correct. Yeah. So, uh, so what did you start with CMC then? Well, uh, when I started thinking about retirement about uh, 2013, I approached uh, 
the then director of the, the rescue school, and I said, hey, you know, I've, I've always taught rope rescue. I've taught on the local level. I've taught it for community colleges. I've, it's always been uh, something that I've always been interested in. And so I approached him and I said, hey, I'd like to uh, come to work and, and be an instructor. And that's uh, obviously when I was told I was, would be the only gun toter <laughs> uh, in a in a crew of host draggers, so it's like, well, you know what, uh, 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 this might be a a challenge I want to take, and and I'm glad I did. So I've I've been with CMC now for about nine years. Wow, yeah, time flies, huh? Yes, it does. <laughs> well, it, it gives us a good target too when we're uh, to, to joke around, being you are the lone gun toter. We outnumber you, so that's so it works. Out, it works out well. You hold your yeah. own though. Yeah. Well, I have a number of cartridges in my magazine that outnumbers the <laughs> the the hose dragger, so we're good to go. <laughs> so, uh, so uh, what are what are the different subjects that you teach for CMC? I stick with rope. Um, I do the rope one and two. I do the basic uh, rope access for uh, industry, such as um, you know your local. Uh, municipal utilities districts uh, contract classes that CMC offers, um, and that's that's pretty much where I stay. I avoid the confined space uh, and stuff like that because while I was a certified mine rescue technician, um, confined space to me uh, and mines the only the only similarity is they're cold and dark. Um, you know, <laughs> so, uh, I, and I have no credibility in, in confined space rescue. So as a result, I, I leave that to the experts and, uh, I stick with what, what I know and love, which is rope rescue. Well, it's funny too. You mentioned mine rescue. I never realized until we were doing all these pod, you know, several different podcasts, talking to mine rescuers, how many, uh, not only active, but more so abandoned mines there are in the state of California. Oh my gosh. They're everywhere. It's Especially crazy. where I live in the Sierra Nevadas, there's, there's, there's hundreds of thousands of, of holes all over the place. And people are, are going into them without, without knowing what they're doing, without knowing what the, uh, the, uh, risks are. And it's just, and that's one thing I'm glad when I retired that's no longer on my shoulders was the mine rescue program for the state of California because that's one that always worried me. I bet, yeah. So what do you like most about teaching? Well, I think what I like is is watching the students grasp the concepts that we're trying to give them of, you know, the rope, especially the rope basics, you know, there for every action, there's a reaction for, you know, all the things that you have to, you have to pick up when you're doing rope rescue, because there's so many places that uh, a simple little error could be a catastrophe. So what I like, and I like especially students that have what I call a clean slate, they uh, they have limited uh, knowledge in rope rescue, and, and you're able to give them um, a, a solid foundation of the basics, put it together, start getting advanced, and then watching them grow beyond what you've given them. So, so basically, um, understanding why you do what you do, how you do it, how to make it safe, and at the same time have, have confidence and, and um, you know, safety uh, just built in. It just, it just happens naturally. And that's what I, that's what I enjoy the most is, is the students. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. That's, uh, definitely very rewarding, huh? Yes. 
So when you're not teaching, and uh, even though you're you're semi-retired, you're, you're still working off a lot. So what what do you do in your spare time? Well, every day is a Saturday at, at my house. So uh, I love I love being retired. Um, even though when I do decide to go to work for CMC here and there and Cal OES here and there, I actually live. Uh, in the central Sierra, in the the mountains of, I border Yosemite National Forest, which is right next to Yosemite National Park. So I'm in the mountains, I'm in the high country, and and as a result, I I do what I've always done. I enjoy fishing, I enjoy hunting, um, anything involving firearms. I guess that's just a cop thing because I've carried <laughs> firearms my entire adult life. Um, a mechanic a little bit here and there and work on equipment and vehicles and and uh, I think the most enjoyable thing to me though at this stage in my life is I have five grandchildren and I love nothing more than to get with them and spend time with them and have them hang out with their papa and whether we're riding around on my tractor or shooting a squirrel or you know anything I just love my grand grandchildren Oh, that's awesome. And I, and I know uh, firsthand you're a heck of a welder, too. Well, <laughs> that's just part of part of living up here. You, you're kind of a jack of all trades. You better be good with metal, better be good with wood projects or what have you. I, I do enjoy welding and fabricating, and I have done some of that for CMC Rescue, which I'm proud yes. to say that. That makes me a professional welder, so that yeah, I am. There you go. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Uh, you. <clears throat> There's uh, props in, uh, in multiple locations that have got your name written all over it, right? Yeah, exactly. <clears throat> so, so is there anything in Tech Rescue you've got really strong feelings about? I do. Um, when, you, when you talk about rescue systems and you talk about the systems that a, uh, a fire department or a search and rescue team or a truck company or whatever – are going to use, uh, the systems they need to use are ones that are simple. They're systems that are easily recognized by everybody on the team. They're practiced. They're, um, you, they, you have to know exactly what you're going to do when the call comes in and you've got somebody over the side or uh, has fallen, whatever, you're doing that rescue. You can't you can't question the system that you're using, whether your mechanical advantage, your belays, your twin tension rope, whatever it may be, it needs to be something that everybody on the team knows, understands, and has mastered. Because in the middle of the night, driving rain or snow, um, when somebody is basically hanging on to the edge of their life, you cannot... Uh, question what you're doing. So my my strong feeling is, and I try to leave every class with this, is whatever you do, whatever you choose to do, as far as the, the techniques you use, the systems you use, that's all you use, and you practice it, and you become competent in it, and you don't deviate from that, especially in the middle of a rescue, because that's when things go bad. So keep it simple, keep it you know, keep it basic, keep it to where no matter what, every member of your team can tie it, rig it, put it together, recognize it, and you know it's safe and you know it's going to be effective. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, the middle of a rescue is not the time to 
try something you just learned on YouTube that morning, right? No, exactly. Or you know, you're you're <laughs> in the middle of a rescue, and you watch a you watch somebody tie a knot, and you go, "What the hell is that?" And so you're like, "Well, I learned this. I just learned this knot. It's pretty cool, and it might be cool, but we'll talk about it later." You know, put it put a mm -hmm. knot in there. We all know, we all trust, and and what have you. This is not the time and place to to introduce something new when you're right in the middle of the heat of the moment. So, ba basics, simple. Mm -hmm. um, it's got to be it's got to be a solid foundation to start from, and that way you're going to be safe and effective. Yeah, makes sense. So, so wh what do you see as the future for technical rescue? I see technology as as a lot in the future as far as equipment. I mean, heck, who, who would ever thought that a, a 7 16 or 11 mil rope would be the same strength as what used to be a, a half inch or 12 five at, you know, the NFPA ratings or what have you, it, you know, 9,000 pounds. It's crazy to me that, that they can get that much strength out of, out of a rope. And I think it's going to get smaller and stronger as time goes on. I think the equipment's going to get you know, easier and more effective and more efficient. Um, and obviously we have other uh, aspects that, that make tech rescue uh, easier to deal with in that you have drones to where you can, you know, actually fly out and check the condition of your victim uh, ahead of time. And you don't have to wait till you get, get down to them to see what the, what the issue is. And communications equipment, stuff like that. So I think technology is, is going to change um, tech rescue as we know it. Yeah, very, very well said. I, I think you're right. That's yeah, smaller, lighter, faster seems to be the trend. Huh? Exactly. Well, thanks for joining us today, Matt, and hopefully our students and prospective students get to, to know you a little bit better here through this and uh, get, a, get a chance to, to talk more in person at classes uh, that they attend. All right, thank you. I appreciate it.